and welcome to the Pioneering Today podcast with me, Melissa K. Norris, where we inspire your faith and pioneer roots with old-fashioned skill sets and wisdom in a modern world. Today is episode number 112. These are your questions regarding how to stay safe when you're making homemade jams and jellies, how to alter homemade jams and jelly recipes if you're wanting to go a no sugar route and or use honey, and are you absolutely certain that that jam and jelly recipe that you are using is safe and that some of those older recipes and techniques that may have been handed down and you might have learned from grandma and mom are truly safe with our now up-to-date and newer science on staying safe within our home canning. This is one of my favorite subjects to talk about, and I cannot wait to dive in and answer your questions. Let's get to it. And don't forget, for all of today's show notes and links, you can grab those at melissaknorris.com. Click on the podcast button. This is episode number 112. We are coming up into canning season, which means wonderful things can be filling our mason jars, and we can be stocking our home food storage with them. But do you know if the canning recipe that you are using to make your homemade jams and jellies is safe? And I'm really excited to talk to you because I get a ton of questions coming up on knowing how to alter jam and jelly recipes or if you can alter them. And then people have different questions on, they've got some older recipes they've been using that have maybe been passed down from their mom or their grandma. And is that recipe or that procedure still considered safe with updating testing? So we're gonna be diving into that today because I wanna make sure one, that you've got the knowledge you need so that you can begin canning if you're not, and if you are canning, that you make sure that you are staying safe. One of the questions that I get asked is, can, you, can I use any fruit that I want to make homemade jam or jelly? So we've got to talk about that because you actually cannot use every fruit to make any type of jam or jelly that you want. And most people think that when it comes to doing fruit and jams or jellies, because they can safely be water bath canned at home, that that is something that they can kind of alter and swap fruits out with and kind of make up their own combinations. And you can do that to a degree, but you have to know some of the science and which fruits you can't do that. So in order for a food to safely be canned at home via water bath method, so that's when we're not using a pressure canner, right? We're putting the jar in a big water bath canner. It can be a large pot that's filled with boiling water and we're processing that for a specific amount of time. So in order for us to do that so that botulism does grow because botulism is one of the number one things that you need to know about and be concerned about when you are canning at home because it can live in a non-anaerobic environment so that means an environment without air which is exactly what a canning jar is what we need to know is the pH level of our food so in order for a food to be acidic enough because botulism does not grow in an acidic environment it needs to be we're gonna go back to high school that pH scale so 4.6 or lower because the lower the number the higher in acidity it is that's what your fruits need to be or any food in order for you to safely can it via the water bath at home so that we don't have botulism and those botulism spores can't live and begin to multiply most of your fruits do fall within that category however there are some exceptions okay and those exceptions are bananas figs melons dates 
and papayas. You can't just decide that you want to add in and make a strawberry banana jam, for example, unless you are following a recipe from a tested source. So like a county extension office, updated canning books. So if you've got some canning recipe books that are from like the 80s and even the early 90s, a lot of those, I've got some of those older canning books that were my mom's and she passed down to me. A lot of those procedures and recipes have been updated as there's been more science and testing done. And so some of the procedures you'll find in those, especially when it comes to thickeners for um, home pie filling, canning, cornstarch, those types, and flour and canning, those are no longer recommended. So it's important that you make sure it's an updated source and an updated recipe, even if it was like the ball book of canning and those type of things. Make sure it's an updated version or you're checking that recipe. But if you wanna get, I've got for you guys a freebie, has a list of all of the fruits that has their pectin level and their pH level. So you can get that chart because that's a really handy one to have by you so you can double check recipes really quick. You can grab that in today's show notes. Another question too, um, when you are doing homemade jams and jellies when you're not using store-bought pectin, this is a really great tip. So the more ripe a fruit is, it actually has lower levels of pectin and generally it's not as acidic. So the more underripe a fruit is, usually the more acidic it, it is in nature. And so one tip that I like to use is if whatever the total volume that you're using of fruit in a canning recipe, use a quarter of that fruit, have it be underripe, and not only will that help with your acid level, but it will also help with the set of jam and jelly as well. So a quarter of the fruit to be underripe, and then that's great too, because a lot of times when we go out picking, right, there's some underripe fruit, and then you can just grab all of that and put it to really good use. So that is a bonus tip there. Another question that I get asked a lot, and we need to discuss this, is can I make in the jam or jelly into a freezer jam? So you can turn any jam or jelly that you want into a freezer jam. You'll simply follow the instructions to make it, and then when it comes to the part where it says that you're gonna be putting it in your jar and then processing it in the water bath, well, instead of doing that, you're gonna put it in the jar, let it cool down, and you're gonna pop it in the freezer. But there is a caveat to that. You cannot take any freezer jam or jelly recipe and turn it into a canning recipe. So we can do it vice versa, but not the other way. And the reason for that is because canning recipes are formulated specifically for the acidity level, right? And so a lot of times freezer jam and jelly recipes, you don't have to worry about the acidity level. So if you aren't sure about a recipe, it's always a safe bet to do it as a freezer jam. But a lot of times those freezer jam and jelly recipes will also have added ingredients into them that aren't necessarily tested or safe for a canning recipe. So a lot of times they'll use something like chia seeds to act as a thickener. I see that recipe floating around Pinterest all the time and that's great, but that's not a tested ingredient for a canning recipe. Canning recipes, we stick for canning, but for freezer jam, you can get kind of wild and crazy and play with the ingredients in there and then you're just freezing them. So I wanted to make sure that people knew that because that's kind of a, a thing that everybody needs to be aware of. Now we need to talk about sugar because this is a really big thing when it comes to canning, specifically jams and jellies that people have questions about. You need to understand what the role of sugar is in regards to home canning. Sugar doesn't necessarily make a canning recipe safe or unsafe. There's, this is, it sounds, is gonna sound contradictory though in a minute, so stick with me here. What makes a recipe safe for canning is the acidity level, right? We've covered that at the beginning of this. But sugar does act as a preservative. It has a preservative nature to it. How it acts with jams and jellies is in two ways. One, it acts as a preservative. So the more sugar that you have, the brighter the color will stay 
in your jams and jellies and your fruits. The more sugar you have in it, the more it's going to retain the color and the brightness. The second thing that sugar does, which is really important, is sugar has an osmotic effect. And you're like, say what? So what that means is it reduces the amount of liquid that's present within the jam or jelly and the food, which inhibits bacteria growth. And this happens when you open the jar and it's exposed to air and you're going to use it in your home. For example, lower sugar jam and jelly recipes, when you open them, usually two to three weeks is about how long they're gonna stay in the fridge before they will start to grow mold. And nobody wants that, right? Because then we gotta toss it. What I do, because I like the lower sugar recipes, that's my total preference, I don't can my jam and jelly in anything larger usually than the jelly jars. So I don't do it in pints, unless of course I think we're going to go through it really super fast, like we're you know having company or that type of thing, then I would do it that way. But that way, it doesn't matter, we'll go through this jar before it will start to mold. I get asked a lot too about using honey to can with. So if you're wanting to use honey to sweeten your jams and jellies and that type of thing. So you may use honey when you are canning. But there's a couple of things that people don't necessarily think about that I wanna bring up a point if you're gonna be using honey for your canning. One, for my canning recipes, I process all of mine. So I don't do freezer jam or jelly. And the reason for that is because I want all of this shelf stableness. It's not dependent upon me keeping my freezer going. If the power goes out, I don't have to worry about it. These are just good to go. My freezer is kind of premium space because we raise all of our own meat here on our homesteads. Come butcher time in the fall, I've got a whole pig going in there. I've got cows and then I've got usually about 15 whole meat birds, chickens that need to take up my freezer space. Now I do can some of that meat. I don't have room for all of the fruit and the jams and jellies that we put up for a year to keep those in the freezer. When you're canning with honey, I use raw organic honey, right? I use raw honey because that has all of the great health benefits to it. And when you heat it, then that destroys most of the benefits of the raw honey. Now the honey is still there as far as its sweetening flavor and all of that, but raw honey is more expensive, right? And I do it for the health purposes. So I don't wanna destroy all of that in the canning process. And honey still has sugar. Honey still has the fructose and the glucose and all of that in there. Even though it's more natural per se, it's less processed for the most part than is regular sugar you're still having sugar in there. And because you're heating it in order to process it, I prefer to use sugar because one, it's way cheaper and it's already gonna have those health benefits when you heat, anytime you heat raw honey is gonna be destroyed. That's why I choose not to use honey in my canning recipes. I have people ask too, what if you're diabetic? What if you can't have any sugar and you still wanna make some of the homemade jams and jellies? Now, if you're canning fruit, so I've got peaches and pears, you may can those with just water. Now you can't do all fruits that way, but those are some that you can do water. You can do a really, really low sugar. You can use honey in those as well, but you can actually can um, peaches without the addition of sugar. You can just can them in water. But when we're talking jams and jellies, we've got to usually have some type of sweetener. So the only way that I know of to actually can and make those completely sugar-free is using a store-bought pectin. But I am really picky about the pectins that I buy from the store because one, store-bought pectin is processed and I'm trying to do the least amount of processed foods as possible in our home. Two, commercial pectin has dextrose added to it, which dextrose is made from 
corn. And as we know, in the United States, corn is one of the largest genetically modified crops that we have. So that's why I don't buy commercial pectin. However, there's one pectin that I do buy that doesn't have the dextrose in it, and that is pominous pectin. And another reason that I like pominous pectin is because it uses, it relies on calcium water instead of huge amounts of sugar in order to get the set or the gelling point on your jams or jellies. So I will use pominous pectin, and the only jam and jelly that I usually use the pominous pectin on, because I just use natural pectin sources, which are green apples, limes, and lemons, and that type of thing. The only one that I use that on is I have a red pepper garlic jelly recipe, but because it doesn't have a lot of fruit in it, it doesn't have enough natural pectin in it, so I do use the pominous pectin. And what's great too about the pominous pectin, I totally sound like a spokesperson for them and they should like totally hit me up, but I am not sponsored by them at all. I just like their product. You can use it for make multiple batches. So you purchase a box of it, but you make a whole bunch of batches from it. So it stretches further too, which I really like. Do I have a favorite brand and favorite kind of sugar in canning? I, I personally use organic evaporated cane juice and that's just the sugar that I use in all of our home. Um, or sometimes I will use coconut sugar as well. I haven't used the coconut sugar because it is more expensive in canning. You can use it in canning. I just haven't personally used it in canning myself. That way, if you're using the pominous pectin, because it's using the calcium water, there's a little packet of calcium powder in there and you make up water. It's all included in the instructions when you get a box. You can actually make theirs totally sugar-free because you're gonna be getting that set. But like I said, if you're gonna be doing, um, which I love to do is so I don't have to buy any additional items when I'm making strawberry jam, raspberry jam, blackberry, blueberry, you know, all of those, is I use the natural forms of pectin and then I do have to use some sugar in order to get a set on there. Another question that I get, and I see a lot of people passing on old recipes or old techniques that they were taught, is why do I need to process my jam or jelly in a hot water bath when I get a seal, so your jar will seal, without heating it and putting it in the hot water bath after I've made the jam or jelly? We really do need to talk about this because there's kind of a misconception and it can, it can be potentially dangerous. When you are processing your jars of home canned food and your acidic ones only via the hot water bath, you, what you're doing is you're helping to make sure that any spores that may be present in that food still or on the jar or the lid, mold spores specifically, are destroyed. So a lot of times what people would do in the past is they would take the hot jam or jelly and they would have their freshly washed, um, sometimes sterilized or sometimes just wa washed in hot water and soap, their jars for their jam and jelly. And so they would take the boiling or just off the heat jam or jelly and they would quickly pour it into their jar, slap the lid on, screw the band down, and they would let it seal. Sometimes they'd turn it upside down, which is called immersion or jar flipping, and then they would bring it back upright. And then they would get a seal. So a seal is meaning like I'm pushing on the center of this lid, there's no noise other than my finger, but the lid is not giving, it's not going up and down and making like that popping motion, right? So they would get a seal, the jar would seal, and they wouldn't process it in a hot water bath. Well, just because a jar seals does not mean that it's safe. A jar seals because of vacuum. So you've got, the, you've got it really hot and then it's hitting the cooler temperature of the air and it creates a vacuum. And that's what sucks that lid down and creates the seal. But it in no way guarantees that the contents inside of the jar are actually safe. When you are processing it via the hot water bath, it doesn't really matter how 
fast you pour your jam or jelly or whatever it is you're making into that jar, there's still, right, there's still spores all around us. I mean, we've got bacteria spores on our skin everywhere. And there can still be contamination, so to speak, inside the jar. When you put it in the hot water bath to process it, it just ensures that anything that you might not have gotten or was there is killed and it also does give you a stronger seal. So a lot of times when you're doing, if people will do the jar flipping or immersion, they call it immersion canning, it's not even technically canning because they're not processing it in the hot water, you'll get a seal initially, but say two or three months down the road, you'll go and pull that off the shelf and the seal will have been lost. So sometimes you'll have seal loss. The other thing that would happen too is a lot of times you'll pull that lid off and there'll be a layer of mold. And so a lot of people will remember, um, especially back in the day when they used wax, so they would pour hot wax on top of the jam or jelly and instead of actually putting the lid on or processing it that way, is you'd get mold on top of the jam or the jelly, right? And so used to be old school train of thought is that you would just scrape off that top layer of the mold and then down belief, you didn't see any mold and you just would keep using that. Well. If you see mold on the top, those mold spores are present. They're not visible to the eye, but they're present and they're down in the rest of the contents of that jar. And if you've got someone who has a lower immune system or who has upper respiratory type issues, then that can pose a really, really big problem. And really you've went through all of the work of making homemade jam or jelly because usually you're like me and you wanna make sure you're giving your family really healthy things and you're controlling the ingredient process. So why wouldn't you just take the 10 minutes to make sure that it was totally shelf stable and it's just 10 minutes of processing time, right? So just go ahead and do it, okay? We now have science where they've tested all of this and that's the reason that we've got these processing times. And that's the reason too, you will see most jam and jelly recipes now call for 10 minutes of processing time instead of five minutes, like a lot of them used to. Rule of thumb is you wanna to try to use it up within the first year. Couple reasons for that. One is making sure that in the beginning you followed a safe and tested canning recipe and procedure. And then that that food has been stored in a cool place and away from light, so like a big sunny window or direct sunlight if at all possible, because light degrades any of our food. Provided that you've already followed those, definitely a full year. Especially with like your fruits and your jams and jellies, after a year goes by, they'll start to read they'll start to lose a little bit of their brightness and a little bit of their color. And then the vitamins and the minerals and stuff in there slowly over time goes down a little bit. But I've got jars of, I think I had a jar of asparagus pickles that was from 2015. This is 2017, they're just fine. So I have gone out two years. You know, if you're ever truly in doubt, then throw it out. That's the safe rule with canning. But I go two years, and usually I've went through everything within two years, unless I happen to find a jar that I accidentally didn't get into our rotation, that type of thing. I don't notice a flavor difference. I don't really even notice a texture difference. I don't notice much of a difference. I go up to two years, but for best, like use best by date, general guidelines say a year. Now, when it comes to storing them, I don't have any canning bands on here because one, they can start to rust if there's any liquid in here and we don't want our canning bands to rust because then they don't screw down as well, right? And the most important reason is I don't store them with the bands on because if I were to lose a seal, so if a seal were to pop off for whatever reason, if there's no bands on, as soon as I pick this jar up, I'm gonna see that it's loose, right? But if I've got the band on, I might not notice it. And if I'm in a hurry, I could potentially not even be paying attention and start to use the jar Another reason is, especially with something like a, a jam or a jelly, when it's kind of stickier like that, 
Sometimes, if you've got the band on there, the seal could loosen and then it could kind of reseal, especially if there's sticky food. So you might not realize with the, the pressure of the band down on there that it had lost a seal. So for safety purposes, I prefer not to keep the bands on and I store all of my canning jars without the band on them. And then another thing that we want to talk about is the stacking of jars. General guidelines, if you go to the National Home Food Preservation website, which is the government extension office for the United States, then they no more than two deep recommendations. So you wouldn't ever want to stack more than one jar on top of the other. However, I don't do quarts. So I don't ever stack quarts because that's a lot more weight. So the thought process is, is if you've got a lot of weight on here that it could weaken the seal over time by having them stacked on top of one another. A lot of times what I'll do is say if I have like a wide mouth jar and if I'm gonna stack it, then I'll use a narrow mouth jar so it's more on the inside and it's not directly on top of the seal. Anytime that I do stack, it's when I'm pressed for space. I use the jars on top first so that the jars on the bottom have weight on top of them for the least amount of time. Personally, I have not had any seal loss by stacking the jars like this, but like I said, I, I, tr I only do it when I have to, like not as a rule of thumb. Another thing that you can do is you can take a piece of cardboard or something and you can put it between the layers and that will kind of help evenly distribute the weight a little bit more evenly across the top. That's kind of a personal decision if you want to stack or not, but that's the recommended guidelines is no more than you know one high, no more than two high uh, from the National Home Food Preservation website. I have the Pioneering Today Academy, which is where you go in, you have video lessons, you've got download guides, charts, and recipes, all there broken down. We have a complete home canning course, so over 30 videos where I talk you through canning safety, updated safety procedures for making homemade pie filling, doing your own bone broth, canning your own meat, how to make tomato sauce without ever having to peel a tomato, y'all hours of time saved, hours. So all of that, oh, and bone broth, how to do different bone broth and can it, chicken, vegetable, beef, is all waiting for you in the Pioneering Today Academy under the home canning course. And then we actually go into growing your own food and all other stuff. So if you've enjoyed these live shows that I do in these live free trainings, you will love the Pioneering Today Academy. And I've got a special 14 day free trial. So it's a membership site. So every month there's the membership, but you can have 14 days free and you can grab that, that expires June 30th. So I hope that you'll come because I'm still gonna be doing, we do two to three new lessons a month, but there's already over 70 videos in there, but it's broken down by series. So home canning and all of those different things. Through the end of this month, June 2017, you can grab 14 day free trial and then go into the monthly membership if you want to, which I would love to have you join me there. This week's verse of the week is actually more than just a verse, and I would kind of love to read you the entire chapter, but that would be way too long for a podcast. But we are going to Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 11. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also planted eternity in men's hearts and minds, a divinely implanted sense of a purpose working through the ages, which nothing under the sun but God alone can satisfy. Yet so that men cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I know that there is nothing better for them than to be glad and to get and do good as long as they live. And also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all his labor. It is the gift of God. 
I know that whatever God does, it endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. And God does it so that men will reverently fear him, revere and worship him, knowing that he is. And that is actually chapter 3, verse 11 through 14. And I love having my pantry stocked with our homegrown and home canned foods. And I do take great enjoyment from that. But it also is important to remember that it is a gift for God. And when we are raising our own food and out in the garden and putting all of that up, it always brings me full circle back and reminds me how good God is and how he provides for us. But it also reminds me that there is definitely a time for things. Any of you know, we do a Pioneering Today live show on our Facebook page every Thursday morning at 8.30 a.m. Pacific time. But if you didn't catch our very last live show, then you might not have heard this announcement. And it really goes perfect with the timing of these verses. And so for the summer months, we are not going to be doing the live show. We're going to put it on hiatus until the end of August. Part of the reason for that is because we are going full board on our homestead right now. My kids are home from school and we've got all of our livestock. We've got all of our meat chickens, the regular laying hens. We've got the pigs and then, of course, the beef cattle, the gardens coming on, all of the harvesting and the preserving comes in. And another factor in there is my new book, Handmade, is releasing this October. And when it releases, we have got some amazing, amazing things that are going to be happening with it. There's going to be bonuses and video tutorials, but I have to create all of that. And I have to realize that there's only so much time that I've got in a day And to go with the season, right? God created a time for everything. There's a season and a time for every matter or purpose under heaven. And so the live show will be coming back. It's just not going to be right now. And to know that I'm going to have some really awesome things planned for you guys. And I'm super excited. But that's what I'm going to be working on over the summer. So we will still be having some podcast episodes. The podcast is not going on complete hiatus like the live show is, but I just want to keep you guys up to date and really keep it real and let you know what's going on. So that's where it stands right now. And I want to thank you so much for those of you who joined me on the live show. And of course, those of you who listen to the podcast, I so appreciate your support. I love hearing from you guys. And I am really thankful to know that there are other people who are like-minded and that we get to be together on this journey. So thank you so much and have an awesome day.